views presented in this program are not meant to represent the specific views of Aletheia Bible Fellowship. You are listening to an ABF Studios production. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure all of you on YouTube are subscribed and ring the bell so you can be informed of all of our upcoming shows. If you're interested in this ministry or other shows, you can check us out at abfstudios.org, where you can access more podcasts, learn more about ABF, and our local church in Portland, Oregon. Now, with all that being said, I'm Tiffany, your ABF Studios director, and this is Truth Time. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. I am Pastor Monty, and I'm sitting here with Pastor Josh, and we're going to be looking at uh, the Word this morning and talking about a number of different things, uh, just for uh, uh, the sake of uh, administrative type stuff. Today is uh, February the 14th, and if uh, so that's Valentine's Day, and if you were expecting something to be Valentine-themed, uh, that ain't happened. So with that, let's get into the Christ Factor. We've been looking at the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 3, and we've been just kind of taking it slowly and going through the information that's there. This morning, I wanted to pick off a little bit where we left off last week and just talk about, um, you know, uh, if we're to put off things. So, you know, the Apostle Paul, uh, in verse 6, basically said, well, verse 7, basically said, you know, um, we are no longer to live as those that are living after the flesh. He says, you know, uh, but now because you're, you're, uh, you're a believer, now you must put all these things away. And then he continues to give this long list, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, and then he goes on to finish that thought. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And so, you know, basically he's saying that the old self is dead. You should not be practicing those things that are glorifying to the self or allow self to dominate and how you live your life, and that you should put on a new self, which is found in in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to, um, in my mind, he's going on to reiterate the fact that uh, in the body of Christ, there are there's there's nothing that um, we should focus on which will uh, set us apart from others or make us think that we're better than others or that we're different than others. There's this, uh, you know, our whole world, the the world in which we live in, people are always drawing comparison. In the world today, we've got, you know, all this, well, we've got the, uh, you know, we've got CRT going on, we've got uh, the 1619, 1619 Project, which is uh, an attempt to rewrite history in a different light. We've got... uh, you know, people uh, at each other because of their skin or uh, ethnic origin or, uh, you know, all kinds of things going on. We even have, like, Christian nationalism. No, I haven't heard of that one, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it's it's basically like uh, 
a version of Christianity that claims that, that almost like it claims the promises of, uh, you know, for the, for the Jews, oh, yeah. but for America specifically. Well, you know, we've got that whole group of people that like to quote Isaiah and, and, uh, you know, talk about, uh, you know, God is going to make us great if we just turn to him and, it's like and, we live by the. It's, they want to make all the the moral law. They basically want to make the Ten Commandments like law in yeah, the United yeah, States. Yeah, yeah. That's the Christian national. Well, you know, I mean, the the Muslims want to make the uh, Sharia law. Yeah, you know, Sharia law. I mean, so you know, everybody's got their little deal going on. But but the Apostle Paul says, look, you know, all that stuff that's of the flesh, and in Christ, none of these none of these distinctions exist. Male, female, black, white, you know, the, the, um, you know, a particular race, you know, circumcised, uncircumcised. None of those things exist in Christ. We are all together in Christ and we live for one purpose to bring glory to him. So when so can we unpack that a little bit? Yeah, the, the, yeah, that's kind of my intention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so what would you say to then a person who takes this to mean that therefore um, I don't know, Christianity is trans or Christianity is fluid. Trans. Well, within the context of what that means in today's culture, of course, I would deny that. Um, the, the, the emphasis here is that, um, okay, so we go back to what we were talking about earlier. So that what this, was, what this does not lift up is it does not lift up any type of behavior which is connected specifically to the flesh. Those <clears throat> things are dead. So what it does mean is that there should be nothing within the body of Christ which would uh, be a divisive or separate us one from another. All these different things that have listed, he listed are examples of things that would separate us from one another because they tend to try to lift up a particular aspect of life. Um, and our focus is to be on, on uh, bringing glory to Christ and only him. So can we clarify that more? Because like when you say those things are dead, it's talking about uh, no male or female, for instance. Yeah. So are you saying that there's no distinction of male and female within the church? Well, because the, those things are dead. So that's why I'm asking for clarification. Well, yeah, the Apostle Paul clearly thought there was a distinction between male and female, um, but the but the emphasis here is how it is that we are to live. So while the <laughs> while the Apostle Paul uh, distinguishes in his writings, he distinguishes roles for the genders. Mm-hmm. So in order, because uh, that's, in, that's in line with understanding who God is in the nature of how God interacts uh, relationally within the Trinity. So, you know, there are, the Father has a role, the Son has a role, the Holy Spirit has a role. That doesn't diminish the fact that they're all God three in one, but they, they uh, manifest uh, distinct roles. In the body of Christ... Uh, all are the same as far as uh, as far as our relationship with Christ and how we interact. One is not better or less than the other, uh, and yet uh, there's a recognition of the roles that we have as the body is to operate. Okay, so that's the clarity that I'm that I'm looking for. So we have the body of Christ, and the body of Christ has within it distinctions, and those things are true. Male female, son, daughter, um, even things that can be in there, like at the time that it was written, slaves and masters, right? Yes, yes, that's correct. So we, and no, we're not talking about the transatlantic slave trade. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so we have different roles and even distinctions. And this isn't saying that those things don't exist. It's saying that those things are not germane. They're not relevant to the discussion of our relationship with God our value as human beings, our, uh, our um, solidarity as Christians. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in, in a couple of minutes when we get into uh, dealing with uh, relationships and how God would have the, the body to interact with one another. But the one thing that, that throughout life, 
which tends to separate people and tear people apart, is the idea that somehow uh, different elements in society like to lift up one aspect of society over of individuals within societies over another and make themselves look better or put somebody else down and in the body of christ there's there's no room for that uh, that and so again the emphasis is not that those things don't exist we're not saying that they don't exist or that you don't ignore them or, or that you ignore them in or fact, even that they're bad or but or that they're bad or that they're good what we're saying right. is is that in you know because the apostle paul clearly and and uh, you know set out um, those distinctions in how we in how we uh, operate uh, within the body of christ in the roles that we fulfill but as far as our relationship with who God is and who he created us to be and how he wants us to respond to who he is, our emphasis now not being on self, and the caveat of that being that remember that all of these things that we've been talking about, these things that are uh, separating factors that you find in the world today, these things are issues surrounding self. And in the in in one fashion or another, the lifting up of self or of self-image because somebody uh, try, seeks to put you down. In inside of the body of Christ, where self has been put to death, and we are now raised to walk a new life, our emphasis should always be that how we view others is that they are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and that we are all equal according to God's word. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just, it's a really important <clears throat> discussion for this day and age because people um, are constantly trying to vie for power and that vying for power has generated a whole bunch of um, misunderstanding about, uh, uh, quite frankly, has generated a whole bunch of misunderstanding within the church itself about um, how we are to interact with each other, where we're replacing this this sonship and daughtership uh, with God or of God with our, um, you know, import whatever thing that you've culture values for you. So whether that's your race or ethnicity or your job or how much money you make or your sexuality or your gender, uh, the list goes on and on. Like, we're not supposed to find ourselves that way. Um, it's really a statement of identity, honestly. Right. And uh, it's really, it's an important, it, there's an important teaching in there in regard to the Trinity, which Pastor Monty alluded to earlier, simply because the Trinity is a great example, or rather we're supposed to be a great example of, of the Trinity, where you have the distinct personality of God the Father while at the same time, the person of God himself, the whole Godhead, um, and one doesn't negate the other. Um, there's sort of a Gnostic teaching that um, our identity is as a drop of honey in an in a open sea. Right. And so like it has no flavor anymore. It becomes diluted by the fact that it's in this like open sea of consciousness. That's not how God is. God the Father is not diluted by being a... So we were talking about... Um, we're back with you. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty. We were talking about... Joshua was talking about the uh, the harmonies that you can find in music, for example. Um, in in uh, Where you particularly find it is, uh, as I was mentioning before the stream drop, is uh, in Barbershop, uh, what they... Uh, you have a barbershop quartet, and if they harmonize just right, yep. they have what's called an overtone, where you can almost hear a fifth person in there. Yeah, harmonic resonance. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 if you've never heard it before, uh, it's it's really cool. Mm -hmm. So the but the point is so that nobody's um, nobody's particular voice is actually lost. All the voices need to be there, right? And then that creates another voice that like synergizes everything together. And if you if you remove the individual voices, then you lose that fifth harmony, right? 
So it's that's a really good example of what we're talking about in the body of Christ. Okay, so with that said, let's go ahead and, and we're going to pick up uh, in the Christ Faster next week and, and uh, then talk a little bit more about, okay, so if these are things that should not be present in the body, then what should be present in the body? And the Apostle Paul gives us guidance in Colossians, actually in a number of places, but he gives us guidance here in Colossians specifically. It's not like God doesn't intend for you to be naked <laughs> in in, well, I think he did. How, well, he, he gives you a new set of clothing. He yeah, that's you, true. That's true. You know, and you're to put on. He says, "Take this off and put on this." And so next week we're going to talk about putting on this. Let's go ahead and uh, talk a little bit more about relationships. You know, that's that's pretty interesting. Like from the standpoint of. Uh, <clears throat> Eden, where everybody was naked, right? Everybody, the where they were naked, and then the new heaven and new earth, where we're supposed to have like clean clothes. Mm-hmm. So that means like the resurrected, uh, like sanctified state. You're still not supposed to be naked in that way. Yeah, that remains to be seen. I mean, when you get into what that clothing will look like or what what our transformation bodies will look like, we don't know. You think it'll be translucent, so you're still naked in a way? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I only, I only, I only speak to what you know. Um, scripture tells us, and it doesn't doesn't tell us a lot. And I think the reason why it, Scripture doesn't tell us a lot is because of our. Uh, propensity to for, do that for wanting to uh, create something uh, out of nothing. It does tell us quite a bit, but it's not like we don't know anything. But yeah. anyway, so um, so how do we interact in the body of Christ? Just as this kind of flows from what we're talking about in uh, the book of Colossians into. Uh, our subject with relationships. And in relationships, we're talking more now about the issue of, okay, so we've talked about our relationship with God. We've talked about uh, our intimate relationship with family and with our spouses. Um, now we're going to uh, extend that out to the body of Christ. And so, um, interestingly, the passage just that we just read in Colossians is directed towards um, this understanding of what our relationship in the body of Christ is supposed to look like um, so that we are able to uh, glorify God in how it is that we interact with one another. So that, so in Colossians, it's important to understand that, as we just talked about, that, that um, all of these things which would normally separate us from one another this this jockeying for position, this, uh, you know, th- somehow thinking you're better than somebody else. I, I love the uh, first chapter uh, of uh, 1 Corinthians because, you know, here the, the Apostle Paul is, is uh, talking about, you know, even within the, the body of Christ, everybody jockeying for a position. And he's like, mm, no, no, that's not... That's not supposed to be happening. Um, so, so the f- first and foremost, uh, the Apostle Paul takes a position that we we need to put away the things of uh, the flesh that is dead now, and put on the things of Christ, because in Christ um, we seek to glorify God through through all that we do and our interactions with one another then become very important in how we glorify God. So, um, and so how, how do we do that? Well, uh, we are equipped. So as we, as we raise to walk a new life, as is indicated in the book of Romans, as the Apostle Paul says, as we raise to walk a new life and we, we begin to live for Christ, for Christ, we begin to put on, as it were, new clothing because the old is dead and gone. Uh, the Holy Spirit equips us uh, to be able to do these things. And so in Colossians chapter 5, verse 22, um, there's kind of a, the, the verses which precede 
in in not Colossians, but Galatians. I was going to say there's only four chapters in Colossians. In Galatians 5, um, verse 22, the the verses that precede, um, you know, 22, basically speak to kind of the same issues that he was dealing with at the church at Colossae. Um, but and so he gives this list, but then he talks about uh, uh, putting on the fruit of the spirit, and the fruit of the spirit then uh, are is the thing that should guide us as uh, believers in how we interact with one another. So before we were pretty much driven by self, we were pretty much driven by all these things, envy and strife, and uh, lifting ourselves up over others or putting others down or all those types of things. But uh, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't allow us to do that. And so, you know, we'll uh, we'll go through and read that for a second and then go back and look at it. But, but uh, you want to add anything to that? No. No, okay. I, th- I think that's pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you probably have heard this, uh, you're familiar with it, but uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, oh, well, okay, let me do this, just for, to, to lay a proper foundation. So, um, he gives this long list of uh, things that are not of the Spirit, and he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? So he says very clearly that those who place an emphasis on the flesh and continue to live with that emphasis on the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a warning. That's a notice that says you, um, as believers, should not be practicing these things. Then he says... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so the, and, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Um, and then he goes on to, so, so uh, the, the, the call here by the Apostle Paul then is that uh, we are to live uh, according to uh, the Spirit, and the Spirit will then allow us to um, keep up with these things. So how, so the question would be, you know, how uh, the maturity... I want to be careful with how I say this, but but you can tell um, the maturity of a believer by how how willingly they submit to allowing the fruit of the Spirit to work in their lives. Sure. I think the question is, what does that look like? Because... Well, okay. Yeah, because you... <clears throat> the... The question of whether the fruit of the spirit is present is really whether there's fruit, <laughs> you know. So, like, well, yeah. you're going to have fruit one way or the other, right? Well, whether it's good fruit. So the so I think it can be problematic, you know, without putting a lot of definition into that. What what did you mean by that? Well, what I mean is is that is that if it, so if. If we're submissive to the work of the Spirit in our lives, um, then that means that we're going to act in such a way as we fellowship with others within the body of Christ. We're going to act in such a way that these things will govern us. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago about the fact that all these things that the Apostle Paul lists that are, um, are dead... Um, are are drivers inside right. of the life right. of the believer. So, and you know, we briefly explained that a driver is something which motivates people. And right, right, right. But uh, so, what I'm asking about is, so we take the fruit of the spirit, and we can just start with the the top three: love, joy, peace. Maybe the fourth, patience. Right. Right. Um, when Jesus calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers, you know, which is a satanic slur. 
is that not a demonstration of the fruit of the spirit? Because that's, that's a good illustration of how, um, of how somebody in this generation uh, and specifically like in the Americas, uh, might say, you know, well, Jesus, that's not a loving to say that that's not patient to say that that's not joyful. Where's his joy in calling them a brood of vipers? You know, the list goes on and on. So how, how do you clarify that to include? Cause we're, I'm guessing that you're not going to argue that in that moment, Jesus wasn't expressing love, joy, peace, or patience. No, no, not at all. In fact, the, what uh, what I would uh, present to an individual who that who took that position <clears throat> is that um, you know Jesus was not uh, addressing the Pharisees as a part of his body at all. The fruit of the spirit is directed towards those individuals in the bo- uh, who are in the body of Christ. His uh, his contention against the Pharisees is that they were not operating within the context of uh, what they purported to be. Well, they, he, but his okay. they're not they're not of God. Well, okay. so this has nothing to do with. So his judgment, though, his judgment is on the basis of them being of God but not being of God in the same vein, like that they're claiming to be that they're claiming to be uh, children of Abraham, but not really children of Abraham. They're really sons of the devil. So maybe that's a bad example from that standpoint. So how would, what would you say about uh, when Christ rebukes Satan in Peter, for instance, and he turns around and says, you know, uh, get behind me, Satan, you'll, you are a snare to me. When Peter, you know, says something that is at least on the face of it, loving to him, he did it, you know, quickly. It didn't seem like he was, he wasn't like promoting peace. He was, you know, the list goes on. So that's somebody who is a part of his flock. How would you, um, cause the, the reason why I ask is because a large portion of what the church deals with in today's day and age is a pushback against what they would perceive to be overly harsh critique. Overly harsh critique, uh, the church against the world? No. Like within, like within the church, you constantly hear, oh, that's judging. Like, that's too judging. And you hear, uh, you've got churches like splitting. Like, um, <clears throat> I think about, it's not the Episcopalians, but, uh, the Methodists. The Methodists, you just had a bunch of churches secede. From the Meth, I think they're uh, churches out of Africa that like voted to form like a new. Um, mm. a new uh, uh, denomination, I guess, uh, because they were being told that they were too harsh. I could be getting these facts wrong, but the idea is definitely there. Uh, that they were too harsh in judging those people who you know just wanted to come before their God. Or like, have you been paying attention to the whole thing with Andy Stanley? No. So the son of uh, John Stanley. It's not John. Is it Chuck Stanley? I can't remember. But anyway, you know, a prolific, Out of Atlanta? A prolific preacher his father was. And, uh, <clears throat> but he's got Charles like a, Stanley. Yeah, Chuck. Yeah, Charles. Yeah, so he's got like a 40,000 person church, right? Yeah. And there's a whole thing going on with him right now where he's saying that we as Christians have something to learn from the members of the LGBTQ community who are coming into the church despite the fact that they've been persecuted to just worship God, despite what they're going to, despite what they're going to, you know, receive from the people, the ridicule that they're going to receive because, uh, uh, the church is unloving to them. And so we need to make room for them. And so there's a whole, uh, thing that's going on with that right now where he's like saying things and it's behind closed doors and some pastors who have been in there are like, Whoa, this is like, this is, you know, this is bad. Um, but so that's a huge emphasis is on this idea that we need to quote unquote love that the idea that we need, that we need to be quote unquote joyful. And I put it in air quotes because, um, it's not biblical definitions of love. It's not biblical definitions of joy or peace or patience or kindness, but, um, this is a constant pushback right now in general for our culture is like, be tolerant, be, 
uh, I don't know, smiling. Like, you, you know, if somebody walks away from your message and they're bothered by it or they're offended by it, uh, we used to call that conviction, right? We used to call that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And now we call it, you know, offense. What do you think about that in regard to this? Well, you've got, wow, you, there's a lot of stuff there to unpack, Josh. I, uh, let's go back to the, the foundational premise here, though. The foundational premise is that all things of the flesh are dead. That's what the Apostle Paul is admonishing. Are we that talking I, about Colossians? or Not only in Colossians, but even here. Even here in Galatians, he says that. In Romans, he says that. The Apostle Paul's theme for the believer is that all things of the flesh are dead, Mm -hmm. and that we are to put on a new creation. We are to be a new creation in Christ so that the way that the world perceives things no longer is how we are to perceive things. So when you have people coming into the church from the outside and they have uh, all kinds of different hang-ups that come with them from their life before Christ, they they want to then bring those things. This is my observation. Import. They want to bring and import those things into now the life of the believer and say, um, we need to approach people that have these issues uh, with, uh, you know, with love and tolerance and all those types of things. The problem is, is that the definitions that they're using are not the definitions uh, found in Scripture as to what these things actually mean. The underlying present uh, premise, as I said, is that all those things that glorify the flesh are dead. And I don't care if you're a gossip or a philanderer or a murderer or a cheat or um, a homosexual or have other uh, sexually uh, lascivious tastes and likes. In Christ, all of those things are dead and they have no place inside of the body of Christ. So you are not to import those into the life of the body, uh, but they, but the, you are to be cleansed of those things and no longer allow them to motivate how it is that you live as a member of the body of Christ. Well, so I think I think the difficulty is in the is importing the definitions because you've got people who are saying that the fruit of the spirit, and I've literally heard this. They need to be corrected. They simply need to be corrected. I've I've literally heard this in some sermons where they say the fruit of the spirit, which they conflate with um, sort of just the fruit of works is, is denoted by how I feel from them. No, no, that's poor exegesis. Yeah, it's eisegeting. Yeah, if you can even call it that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, basically speaking, they're trying to. What they're trying to do is they're trying to bring some type of a justification for these things that they've imported into the body of Christ, which is corrupting the body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul was very clear that that's simply not tolerated or allowable. In fact, he clearly states that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom Kingdom of God. God. I don't know how, how much clearer that can be. And when individuals try to look at that, uh, and try to set up a definition which supports their behavior, which is condemned from Scripture, um, they do themselves and they do the body of Christ a disservice. Right. They are in for a very rude awakening. Which is why, I mean, Christ literally says that. People will come saying, I did all these things in your name, and he'll say, I don't even know you. Yeah, exactly. I, so I think that there are going to be a lot of people who thought that they were being loving, were being joyful, were being patient, were being kind, all of these things, but they're actually using the wrong definition for those things. And I think that that's, we have to be really um, vigilant with our understanding of those things. They're not feeling based. They are not, that's one of the downfalls of this particular society that we live in in this time period um, is that it wants to, uh, qualify 
fruit by the feeling of it, like the taste right. of it, right? Right. Our job is not not even fruit. Let's call it food, spiritual food. We want to qualify our food, in other words, to say that it's good by the taste of it. Right. But our job is to look at food as nutritional, right? Right. So sometimes that food is going to taste bad, well, but it's good for us. And that's when we look at the definitions of love, for instance, great to talk about because it's Valentine's Day. Right. Um, you know, love is not eros, you know, and it's not even it's not even uh, parental love. It's Stargate. not. Yeah, it's not. It's not any of those things in scripture. When we use that term, it's it's agape, right? Which is this unconditional love. So, and it's and particularly a self sacrificial love. Right. Uh, so when we say the fruit of the spirit is love and you're like, well, you were, you, I didn't feel loved from what you said. That doesn't mean that the fruit of the spirit wasn't present. It, the question you have to ask is, was it said in this example, was it said from the position of somebody who is willing to sacrifice themselves for the betterment of the person they're doing it for? Yeah, and I think that the, the, a big challenge for the church, leadership within the church, those who are in the elders who are in the position of teaching the Word of God, is that part they 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 do a disservice to the to the flock that they are leading when they fail to um, give clear parameter and definition to the, what the, the scripture says uh, to, then to what the world says. And, like and to draw a distinction? Yeah, the, the draw a distinction and say, this is the definition that we have for this from scripture. And this is the definition that is being put forth by the world um, in the form of either redefining or using euphemisms in order to make it sound as if it's not what it is, and and clearly the the world today, um, you know, is is very uh, skilled. Uh, the media of today, uh, those that have political far left views, are always trying to redefine. Yeah, and we do people a disservice when they come to Christ and they come to a saving knowledge of Christ uh, to allow them to continue to operate under definitions which are harmful to them. Yeah. And so part of the job of the eldership then is to constantly, as you said, be vigilant and set up a training program whereby people can understand and uh, understand scripture within the definitions of what the word of god says so that you're not you're not adding into the word by or trying to recreate the definition but you're simply taking the word of god and saying this is what it was used and this is how it was used and that is the definition we're going to live by yeah and i think that that starts even before the eldership i think it starts with fathers you know, in, oh, absolutely. In, in, yes. Well, husbands yeah. before fathers, but yeah, but yeah, like I think it starts in the household. Um, if you're a believer, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Well, e even if you're not a believer, which is a really strange thing, right? Like, there's there's plenty of places in scripture where the where um, different nations, for instance, were held accountable because they didn't follow the moral law, right? The universal right. moral law that everybody should know. That's you know, people will talk about the genocide that took place in Canaan where the Israelites came in and committed genocide. But what they don't take into account was that God was heavy handed with both sets of people, the Israelites and the Canaanites, when both sets of people were not following the moral law. You know, and, and that was his that was his thing. When the Israelites started to worship the Canaanite gods like Moloch, for instance, started to sacrifice their children to him, then God, you know, sent them into exile and had other nations come in. And when he talked about Israel, Israel going into Canaan to take them out, it was judgment that was being passed on Canaan. Right. So in the same vein, there's a certain moral law that we're supposed to pass down to our children. Even if you don't understand who God is, you still have a moral responsibility to tell your child what's right and what's wrong. And, and I thought, I think that there's, I think it's demonstrable sociologically 
that part of the downfall, at least in American society, is the lack of fatherhood in general, let alone godly men, which of course is like you you absolutely want and need that, but even just men being fathers in the sense of saying, here's where we will go as a family, here's the direction we need to head, men have abandoned their responsibility in general, and that has created just like a gaping hole, a gaping void by which all sorts of evil is allowed to come in. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. It's a much broader uh, and complex analysis then to see how society is affected, affected by the, yeah. the change uh, philosophically uh, that has taken place uh, over the last hundred years. Um, and, and then looking at, of course, what, would, what we would call uh, social mores and norms that are set down. Um, so at this point, one of the things that we're, we, we are talking about, we will continue to talk about, is understanding that as believers, we interact with one another first and foremost uh, by, because God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then begins to prepare us to be able to interact with one another. And we'll continue to explore that next week. Yeah. Now we want to launch into uh, our third section, which has to do with, um, uh, I, uh, <laughs> which, which has to do with uh, Pastor Monkey's tips on successful living there. Wow. Um, so it's kind of anticlimactic. It works, but it's kind of anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've, We've been talking, I've been sharing uh, with you just some things that uh, I've learned in my old age of how to approach different things and things that you can, uh, that are uh, mechanical, that are uh, chewable, that you can uh, take and you can uh, look at. And last week we talked about the fact that, um, well, before that we talked about the fact that you, you, you need to learn how to leave things and you need to learn how to, you know, not let things trouble you. This week we want to talk about um, uh, the, the, so important the issue of understanding choice, and um, you may not have given much thought to the issue of choice, uh, but we are faced with choice in absolutely everything we do. Now, sometimes choice is benign; it's neither good um, nor not good. Uh, it's, you know, so am I going to have a, you know, am I going to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or am I going to have a, uh, you know, a, a tuna a fry, you know, whatever. I mean, that a tuna fry. Yeah. You know, um, a tuna sandwich like fries uh, fry, fried, fried up on either side and like a, a toasted tuna sandwich. Interesting. Yeah. No, it's really good. Um, you know, the same way you'd make a grilled cheese or something like that. You know, there's, you know, the, you mean the, the tuna melt. Yeah, tuna melt. Yeah. Uh, okay. The the age old question. But fried. Yeah. The 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 age old question that it's every, gotta be good because you can fry anything and make it good. So. Yeah, yeah. The age old anyway. question that at every family faces after church on Sunday. Ah. What's for lunch? Yes. <laughs> and then you have people say, well, you know, we could have this. Or it's what you'll have is you'll have people in the car go, um, oh, I don't care anything. And so then you start naming off, uh, well, how about pizza? Oh, no, I don't want pizza. Yeah. What about tacos? No, yeah. I don't want tacos. And <laughs> so they told you anything, but they really didn't no, mean anything. They, they didn't mean anything. So, but uh, life is about choices. And understanding um, how to make uh, choices that are productive or counterproductive. And, and what that really involves is the process of looking at, um, uh, again, choices which are, are not going to have a large impact, uh, but also, more importantly, choices that are going to have a major impact. And trying to set up an understanding of how do you make that choice. Now, last week we talked about, and I, I delineated just briefly the idea that one way that you can um, 
get to a position where you can get off of the fence and and commit to a direction is by listing uh, doing a, a t you know doing a t there and and listing the pros and cons of the choices that are before you and then making a decision based upon uh you know your best guess of of what you see there um and then you take that one step further by saying okay so i made this choice and was that a good choice or a poor choice? Did I choose wisely or did I choose poorly? And, if, and, and so if the results were not what you expected from the choice that you made, you don't continue to live inside of that choice, but you look for other ways in which to alter that. So the beginning thing is, is when I come to a choice that I have to make, one of the things that I do is I do a quick analysis. Most of the time I do it in my head. But I do a quick analysis of um, is this a poor choice or, or, a, uh, or a good choice. And then I make the decision to move forward. And then I don't just stop there, but I look at the results of that choice to determine am I, I going to make that choice again. And there are many people that, that do not do that. So I feel like what you're talking about is super common sense. Um, we call it scientific method. Well, you would, you would think that it would be common sense, Josh. You but, would. But you I'm, would. I'm uh, of the observation that that's something sorely lacking in the lives of people today. I also cannot disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. It's you put all the evidence out in front of you, you make a hypothesis about, you know, what the logical conclusion will be, then you make an action toward it. If that action works, then you repeat that action until you can draw an actual conclusion or a rule by which to live. If it doesn't work, then you go back to the drawing board and try something new. It seems obvious. It is literally like how scientific method works, but you know... Yeah, you know. Yeah, I agree I, with you. I, I agree with you. It's uh, it's kind of sad how little, uh, how little that common sense is used, and particularly in the life of the believer. You know, the other thing that you're going to throw in there is you're going to throw in um, looking to see whether or not there's a spiritual element to the choice that you're going to make or not make. Yeah, it's a, that's another factor you need to take into account. They're exactly correct. And so you need yep. to, you know, ask yourself the question and, and, you know, approach it from the standpoint that there are going to be times where, as I said, the choice may be benign, but there are meaning that there's not, it's not going to be effective one way or the other. But there are other choices that people make, which are huge choices, and, and sometimes they're not popular, and you have to calculate, um, you know, the way that, that things are going to go with that, and and I my observation is is that um, people will do much better in life if they are careful if they go through this process and they understand this element of choice which we're faced with and and how we proceed. Um, you know, I could just give you multiple examples of how I've approached this in my life. Uh, sometimes they've uh, been positive and sometimes i say to myself you know i'm not doing that again yeah i'm i'm teaching i'm i i agreed uh, just a quick example i'm teaching a uh, a class right now it's an intermediate uh it's an intermediate accounting class mm -hmm. and the people who wrote this so if we're if we're dealing with concept within accounting then I have no problem with that. But this particular author loves to take everything that's conceptual and turn it into an algebraic equation. Okay. And I don't do algebra. Ah. I hate algebra. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it doesn't... Just algebra or like algebra two, like trigonometry? Oh, I don't even get into trigonometry. All I right. mean, I don't, you know... I've I've told this story before and so I won't belabor it except to say that I I don't believe that I could uh, you know I've got uh, I've got 
three degrees, two undergraduate, one graduate. I don't believe that I could get a degree today. Uh, based upon the fact that they've changed, know, man. they've changed the rules, and you have to have math. Yeah, and I went through my entire collegiate uh, yeah, career I think, I think, with no math at all. I th- I think yes, you have to have math, but the standards for getting for passing classes is much lower now. Well, maybe so, but uh, so it's just, like you have to have math, but then you can just say that you understand, <laughs> and then they're like, "Okay, well, did you try?" Yeah, and you're like, "Yeah, I tried," and then they're like, "Okay, pass." <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I under I understand that, but anyway, that's how it so is in high school. I can I'm, tell you that I'm teaching this class right now, and I agreed to do it to help out, uh, you know, the school to 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 teach this class. But every time I turn around, they're taking something that's conceptual and they're turning it into some type of algebraic equation. And so when I teach it, I have to recognize that the algebraic equation is there. But it's like I tell my students, you know, I, I mean. <laughs> You know, if you love the equation, then, uh, you know, go ahead and try to apply it. But the reality of it is, let's look at the concept that's being transferred. And it just makes it, a, it's a difficult class for me. And I, am I going to, am I going to teach that class again? No, <laughs> I will not. Um, that's a choice. You know, I chose right. to want to try to help, but uh I'm not going to teach that class again. Right. So that's so that's the the type of things that you you know you have to look and say will that work or what. So the so the purpose of this um, interaction is just to say how do you make choices? Ask yourself the question: How do you make choices? I mean, the reason why a lot of people have difficulty here is because they don't give the time of day and thought to how they do things. They just do it, and, and you know. And then regurgitate to whatever happened and don't think about it. Right. And you have to be a little more systematic in how you approach life uh, if you want to be successful. And I'm defining successful as somebody who can glorify Christ and how they live and um, not have a boatload of drama attached to, to making it happen. And little people today, they love the drama. Yeah, glorify Christ and not have the drama. Hmm. All right. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's close up our time together today with uh, what's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? Well, you know, have you have you ever taken your kids with you to uh, the restaurant? And your kids may be angels. They may behave themselves uh, while they're there at the table with you. But uh, it's a family restaurant, and you see uh, other parents who have less control over their children. And they're throwing food and screaming and chasing one another and making a mess. And, and you, you know, it just makes it hard to enjoy your meal. In New Jersey... A family restaurant, um, a spaghetti-type restaurant, has decided that they've had enough. And they refuse now to have any child under the age of 10 uh, come to their restaurant. Interesting. So if you're, if you're bringing your little toddlers or, or your little kids with you, uh, even Joseph's age, if they're not 10 years old... My son is six. By the way, they're they're not they're not eating there. Well, you know, people, a couple bad people spoil the whole batch. You know, sometimes that happens for real. I get it. I get it. But really what should happen is it should be the parents of those children shouldn't be allowed to come. And then those children should have to sit down with like real, you know, parents. <laughs> yeah. Would you would you volunteer for that job? Oh, yeah, I would be great at that job. I have literally, I have a lot of experience with parenting and co-parenting, and children know not to misbehave around me because they have no reason to. Yeah, yeah. And we we never allowed our children when they were small to carry on that way. And so we used to have people constantly come up to us and comment, you know, oh, your children are so well-behaved, and... You know, 
And they they were, and because they knew that there would be consequence if they misbehave. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's so much a matter of. So I don't I don't fully parent that way. Like, um, but I my children are behaved as well, and it's not so much a matter of negative consequence as it is a matter of understanding causal reality, right? So a child, a child should understand that their actions bear natural consequences. Yeah. yeah and I so agree. because of that, they don't need to be threatened on top of that. Um, on top of that, if you meet their needs, then they don't need to act out. Yeah, no, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree. And of course we have different parenting styles. Uh, in in how things happen. Well, see, but but uh, that that just proves the point, right? But you're we have different parenting styles, and yet we don't have problems with with ju- you know no, like no. I, you know. But it's true. Like man, it is hard. It is yeah. hard to sit in a in a because you naturally like when a waiter sees you coming, you can tell. Oh, you yeah. can tell that they've got your number, and they're gonna go sit you next to the screaming bratty kids because you got kids, and they're thinking we want to like push all these people to the naughty side of the of the <laughs> restaurant. And I'm like, great. Now I gotta go sit with a bunch of terrible parents. Yeah. I very rarely think to myself, now I gotta go sit with a bunch of terrible children. Yeah. I generally think to myself, I gotta terrible sit with a bunch parents. of terrible parents. That's right. Because and and the, the there's a very strong urge which denotes self-control not not to say to those parents you know get get it together yeah <laughs> so but this restaurant they just simply said no kids under 10 yeah yeah and, and i just want to say like i'm not like uh a nosy person like i'm very much i like to like be in my own corner i'm not very much of a karen that being said, I was a foster parent, and it was literally my job to to like parent for people that couldn't parent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, you know, and I'm not talking like a state-run foster program where there's no standards. Like we were a, a third party. Actually, we were, we were part of the first uh, foster parenting um like group in in the state of Oregon. So like it 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 was pretty um like we predated like social services in terms of our company. So there's a in any case what I'm saying is like I'm not just sitting there judging other people. Like it it is it's actually my it was actually my job to actually parent kids whose parents couldn't parent them. And I just like I'm shaking my head, you know. <laughs> like I just I want to walk yeah. up to them and give them like a book. Yeah. Or something. Or something to grab their attention. And I yeah. also feel really bad for these kids. Well, Most of these kids are just... And their parents are doing like terrible things to them, right? Like, like their parents are not giving them the attention that they deserve. But then on top of it, by not giving them the attention they deserve, they're also hyping them up. These kids are like drinking like soda and they're um, eating like nothing but sugar, essentially like carbs and noodles. And, and you know, they probably haven't slept well and they're, they're not set up for success. And then they come into this like melting pot you know, environment where there's all these other influences and then they're like expected to like behave, but they're not set up for success. And it's just, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I have a, strong feelings that's, about that's this a button for you right there. Yeah, no, I, God! I have strong feelings no, God, about, please, no. about parenting. Yes. All right. So, uh, okay. So, um, you know, uh, occasionally I like to do a public service announcement. So, um, if you've been wondering, what is the absolute best date to mow your lawn? Now, if you've got a lawn, if you don't have a lawn, this is not for you. But I know some of my listeners have lawns, and you may be asking yourself, when is the absolute best date uh, to begin mowing your lawn and not before that date? And uh, okay. a scientific conclusion has come to the fact that that date is March the 18th. So okay. Just, so just be so aware. It's the day after St. Patrick's Day. That's right. So if you have an itch that you want to mow your lawn and it's before March 18th, don't do it. That is a poor choice. <laughs> Interesting. After that, knock yourself. Do they out. say why? 
Uh, no, they didn't give it. Well, it has to. They give a definition of. Uh, you know, it has to do with the way the grass grows and and uh, how it uh, simulates. Uh, you know, all the nutrients with the water and the weather and what have you. And it's just March the eighteenth is uh, the best. The and best is it like date. a specific area? Uh, no, they didn't. They didn't uh, make it uh, per area because it can't be. They can't be everywhere. I'm, I'm just saying. Well, I say obviously not in Arizona where there's no grass <laughs> to grow grass to mow. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, public service is not there. Okay. Let's close out with this. It's Valentine's Day, and I, I'm not going to do too much on Valentine's Day, but I, I thought this was interesting. So I, I read about this, this couple that had made an agreement before. So this, this is about uh, broken vows and forgiveness. And and I read this uh, story about this couple that um, had made a vow to each other. Uh, well, actually, with the guy's preference mostly, but he had made a vow to each other that um, the the guy was reacting to somebody that he uh, had seen in a uh, social setting that was uh, belching and and farting all over the place, and he uh, found it so distasteful that he uh, made a vow uh, between him and his wife to be, at that point, that they would never uh, practice that in front of each other. Okay. And for for nine years... Come on. For nine years, uh, they were able to keep that vow until one evening um, uh, she, <laughs> she slipped and while he was falling asleep, let out a... A massive, a raucous fart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, now they're divorced. So, well, not quite. So much so, so much so that it woke him from his sleep, and it, it had one of those per- percussion sound waves that that shook him. <laughs> and uh, he was horrified. Why is this news? What happened? Well, he was horrified. And so he and, then, and so he was horrible. shot her on accident. Or well, something? he didn't shoot her, but uh, but he made it clear that uh, he um, was horrified by this action, and that he never wanted this to happen again. And they they reconciled, but she clearly uh, knew that um, she needed to seek forgiveness that she had slipped in her vow. What? Why is this news? <laughs> yes, this is not news, Josh. It's what's up with that? Okay, <laughs> but so, I mean, like, how did you even come? So across, like, the, why so is this story even coming to well, us? Well, I, I think it's funny. I think it's funny because, first of all, if you if you've been married, well, where where did somebody, you where did you find this? Was I find this like all kinds of stuff. On been, Reader's been, Digest. If you've like, been, what, what is this? If you've been married for nine years and you've never um, farted in front of your spouse, I mean, really, come on. I mean that's just that's that's ridiculous on on the face of it, you know. But uh, you know, a, a a good fart can be <laughs> can be funny, uh, you know. Your mother and I have had some some interesting uh, times. You know, I'm I personally am I'm sure this is not surprising, but I'm not one to shy away from the ownership of really anything, um, including my you know bodily yeah flagellants yeah yeah whatever. Uh, my wife is, isn't either. She doesn't really care, nor do I, but I think because we don't care, my children are horrified <laughs> whenever anything happens. Yeah. yeah. They're just, and I, they just look at us with such disgust and I have to say to them, you know, everybody farts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. everybody does it. Everybody burps. Everybody farts. I know this is like crude or whatever. Like someone's going to say like, Oh, the scripture says, don't be crude. Like that's what it's talking about. God made you to fart. Well, and you know, um, your mother and I, and it happens really where, where, wherever it happens, regardless of where you, your mother and I were in a prayer meeting. <laughs> I know this story. We were, we were in a story. prayer meeting. With a bunch of other couples, and all of a sudden, while uh, while while one of the couples was praying, somebody in that circle 
<laughs> tried to try to control their fart and let out this really high pitched long fart. Well, then I, I got I got to giggling, <laughs> had to excuse myself, and I went down the stairs. Uh, and your mother was already down there, and she's like, "Did you do that?" I'm like, "I I, I didn't do that. You know me. I I own it." And we couldn't we could. Couldn't control we were we were giggling. You're so oh, immature. Yeah, I know. It's How good. old were you? It was great. Well, was, you know, we were in our thirties, I think. Yeah, there's there's nothing better than, than a good <laughs> universal experience. You got to think though, because it is a universal experience. Like across cultures, people giggle at that sort of thing. You got to think that there's something innate to that, right? Like there's something joyously innate to the experience of like farting, burping, things like that, where we have to be taught that those things aren't funny. And that means <laughs> well, on a, on a spiritual level, is this part of, you know, I'm getting being there. made in the image. Of yes. God? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that means <laughs> Pastor Josh brings it back. That means that the very first fart joke was probably God <laughs> where, where God made us, to make these sounds and then probably giggled to himself about it. <laughs> and that's why every human being, you know, giggles about it. Even the ones that have a giant stick yeah. <laughs> in, in their lives. Somewhere, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, you know, they'll pretend that, you know, they don't find it funny, but in reality they do, you know, yeah, like yeah. even my daughter, Olivia at like, you know, she's not even like fully communicative, but she like right from the beginning, like when she realized that something was, she realized those sounds, she would like giggle at them. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, God probably told the first fart joke well, by yeah. making man fart, you know, very, very possible. Well, that's uh, with that note, have Valentine's Day. And uh, that's all I got. <laughs> Do you think that we'll fart in the new heaven and new earth? Oh, well, transformed bodies, I'm not sure. I mean, we obviously were made to eat, so I think that there's evidence that, you know, unless we were fully, you think that we fully, uh... That we fully used everything? I'm, I'm no, that can't be right because no. because because there's not going to be there's not going to be a reason to procreate. Yeah, well, but but well, maybe we. I mean, there's nothing that says there won't be babies. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's part of an ecosystem, right? It's like a complete and holistic ecosystem. So we were we're meant to fertilize. So, so you got to think that maybe maybe we were always meant. To, you know, to uh, put out some excrement so as to fertilize Eden, so as to... Pastor Josh is now off <laughs> on a tangent speculating. Yes. Not not unbelievable, though. Not unbelievable. All right. All right. Anyway. Uh, ironically, if you are someone who is actually seeking answers rather than just weird theories about farts strange episode uh <laughs> and you want to know more about your faith if you're new to jesus christ or the bible please check out more at abfstudios.org the truth time with pastor monty podcast is a resource of abf a church headquartered in the pdx area of oregon abf makes helpful and interesting online resources for the church local and at large through abf studios if you're one of those who's enjoyed our resources remember to like subscribe and share them and our podcast remember you can find it on abfstudios.org feel free to check out last week we launched uh, the Gospel Diaries, and there's, I think, about seven uh, videos on there where people are talking about um, just their experience with God in their life and what brought them to him and stuff. Uh, so there's some interesting things there that we just launched. Check out our website, again, abfstudios.org. So please take a second to do that. You can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. And remember that that content is shared on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. I'm Pastor Josh, your co-host and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty.